Welcome to Risky Business, a show where we get to explore new and innovative ways to understand and reduce risk by bringing together some of the leading professionals in the transportation and the insurance industry. My name is Scott Grandis. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let's kick it off. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Risky Business. This is a time that I really enjoy because we get to explore all kinds of new things as it relates to risk and what causes it and what we can do to reduce it. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Scott Grandis. I love this show and this is a good time and fun for me. And today I have, I can't just call you a friend, James. <laughs> You're like my brother, seriously. So I've got James Wells with me from Acrisure Wholesale. He's out across the pond in London. So it's later there today than it is here for me. And we're going to go through some interesting stuff today. So before we kick it off and I get into my line of questions, James, why don't you let everybody know who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, perfect. No, thank you for having me on, Scott. It's great to obviously speak to you at Risky Business and enjoy the other podcasts you've done. Yeah. So from my side, I'm a London broker, started in the industry in 2013. So this is my 10th year now. It's quite a specialist area being in Lloyds of London, but we specialize in commercial trucking in the US. So that certainly keeps us busy day to day, being in the hub of insurance with other 52,000 people trying to align business from about 200 lines of business from around the world. Yeah, London's a cool market. I started going out there. Oh, geez. I think you probably met me when I first started going out there, right? Probably seven years ago. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Well, I think we met in 2017. That was the game changer uh, from from what we were doing on tracking insurance. And I'd certainly say from that point onwards, drinking the Kool-Aid and understanding that there's so much more out there with tech that we can use for underwriting and understanding insurance as well for placing and what the insurance can do in the industry to take it forward to that next step from that old school way of doing it. Yeah. And I think it took me a minute to understand the London market. And I've tried to teach like my dev staff. And if you listen, well, you're going to hear some of the podcasts with some of the folks on my dev staff. I think people starting to understand really what happens in London to me is super important because it rolls then down the path of all the stuff that the trucking companies are doing and the drivers are doing. What does it really impact and how does it get to you? So if you listen to my other podcast, you know that I get a mug for everybody and you're going to laugh at this one. And I'm going to show you the mug and then I'm going to give you a little bit of shit. Because I had it perfectly timed out and you stood me up. Your mug, I always have a hard time doing this. There we go. This is what an awesome matchmaker looks like. So we were supposed to record our podcast on Saint, on Valentine's Day, right? And Valentine's Day is about matchmaking. And you are a broker in the London market and you match people together, right? That was supposed to be my funny joke. You stole it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were sharing the trucking love, just not on the podcast. It's a belated, belated Valentine's Day. <laughs> there you go. Well, happy Valentine's Day. There you go. Happy <laughs> <Valentine>. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I don't think folks generally understand what it is that you do in the London market. And I call it matchmaking because in my simple brain, to me, the most important thing is you find folks here in the States that have trucking insurance programs, right? Or whatever. And then you in the London market match them with capital that will back those programs back the premium and back the claim, back the claims, right? Is that a fair assessment? Are you a matchmaker like that? 
<laughs> we try to be. It's such an interesting place. And Lloyd's has been around for 335 years now. And it started in obviously the marine industry. And it's evolved over time. Even now you've got crypto, NFTs and those sort of things being discussed within the insurance industry. Trucking is obviously a big part of that being in North America. A lot of that, obviously, we don't touch the auto liability really in London on a direct side. That's more of a reinsurance side. And that's just a separate conversation in itself. But in terms of aligning interests with syndicates and capacity, that's what we do as a London broker. That's our specialist area. And up until probably the pandemic, day in, day out, you're coming at night, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, you prep up the submissions for the London market. And for an example, you could have ABC trucking based in Georgia. You have the TIV, you have all the information on the drivers and units. You prep that up, you look at the risk. And then our job is to go and paint a picture of the insured and what they do, what commodities they haul, whether it's short haul, long haul, and go and get the best terms we can do in the London market uh, with the partners we trade with that we've had long established relationships for. And we do that on behalf of our wholesalers and cover holders, again, that have traded with London for sometimes their new clients to London, sometimes their clients that have been around for four or five decades and even longer. Yeah, it's a bit of a moving target in terms of how it all works, but we have plenty of other brokers out there. There's 76 different syndicates in Lloyd's. There's 4,000 cover holders around the world. So I know we're focusing on US trucking, but yeah, there's a massive amount of business that's done in Lloyd's from all different places. Yeah, I think 2015 was the first time that I was introduced to the London market and it's been a huge, well, it's been cool to learn and cool to see things. That's how we got to where we are today because we saw that there was a need in the trucking industry here in the US that people weren't looking at the risk properly. And I think it all comes down to the little details that a lot of times people don't pay attention to here in the States. So some of the stats, now this was a staggering statistic that I had heard from Mike Clifton back on one of our town halls earlier on about the London market and more specifically the backing of the US market, right? The statistic was that on a roughly $30 billion worth of sponsored premium here in the States, uh, the combined loss ratio was 110% for seven or eight years straight. So it was a stinker, right? That's $3 billion a year being lost. So one of the things that I hear in the London market, specifically like with the technology that we've been building, which we'll talk about in a minute, and your, your role and all of the support that you've given me over the last couple of years here. But I hear a lot that people come out there with all different kinds of things to say, this is why I'm different. This is what's different, right? What do you think generally, and you don't have to get into too much detail, but you can go as, as deep or as, as high level as you want. Yeah. What do you think people that are trying to deal with insurance programs in the United States, what do they need to think about when it comes to finding capital in the London market and getting support in the London market? That's a very interesting question. And there's so many different dynamics to it in terms of their role as a, if you're talking about a cover holder or just as an agency. Let's start at a cover holder and then let's, and then let's strip it back to what agents should be thinking about because you deal with all of them, right? Yeah, that's it. We, <laughs> yeah, it certainly keeps us busy. From the cover holder standpoint, the reason why they are cover holders and authorities, as an example, and the binding authority is a contract that, you know, a syndicate, as an example, can, can give underwriting authority to a US cover holder to underwrite on their behalf in terms of giving them set parameters for rates, wordings, and guidelines for what they can underwrite business to. 
And the idea is that cover holders are experts in their local field. They know the retailers who are going out and prospecting this business, and they should know the, the good guys from the bad guys who are providing that business. In London, from the underwriting standpoint, they're two steps away from that because they've got the London broker who's bringing them the, the business. And then they're also, you know, they've, they've got the cover holder over there. So the cover holder is closer to where the business is. And that works well, and it's been a pretty efficient process from Lloyd's standpoint in terms of cover holders having that authority and underwriting expertise. And over the years, have have done a very good job with with what they've got. Predominantly on the direct binding authority side, that's been for auto physical damage and motor truck cargo business. And then they've split out the auto liability stateside with carriers they've got stateside. So that's where it's worked well. So they've had the AL market, and then they had the FISDAM and the MTC from London. And that sort of changed over the years with uh, shippers and motor truck cargo and forms and bits and pieces like that. So it's a process to become a Lloyd's cover holder. It can take a bit of time to become a Lloyd's cover holder with all the regulations that are in place. But once you've got that cover holder status, it opens up quite a few doors in terms of capacity and options. And there's always different markets doing different things that can really benefit you as a cover holder writing business to your agencies. And obviously okay. our, our job is to help our cover holders or agents with that process and try and find them the best opportunities that we can do and align them with syndicates that want to write the business. Yeah, it makes that makes sense. So if I were a cover holder, just got it and I got a trucking program yep. that I want to get started and I want the London market to back me, right? What are some of the things, again, high or low level, wherever you want to go with this, what are some of the things that I should be thinking about? What should I be asking of the agents and ultimately the insureds that would reduce risk? Like what it, If you could pick like the big three things, what are they? I wouldn't say London, in, in terms of telematics, it helps from that portion. And even being stateside back in 2015, I still remember being in like South Carolina, uh, where they're talking about lytics, doing all the telematics and having the whole big brother scenario with the truckers. Telematics is very handy. But will it actually change the day-to-day operation of the driver? Arguably, there's cases for and against that. Obviously, it helps in terms of subrogation for not full claims when you've got that out. And that sort of, that's a different tangent itself. But I'd say the data that's available now that you're able to drill down into that we weren't able to drill down into probably five, six years ago, the transparency that comes with that's certainly a key thing from a cover holder standpoint, being able to, to show that. And also, you know, the more data you have, depending on what type of data it is, it opens up opportunities to deal with different syndicates. It's pretty hard, I would say, these days to, to get something going without historical data because you need that sort of trust from syndicates and underwriters that you have a proven track record that you're going to return a good good amount of income and well, a good loss ratio for the London market. So the historical data in the tech to be able to showcase that is certainly something key if you want to open up doors to capacity with London. I've definitely seen that too. Yeah. So another thing that I think I've seen, and we're going to get back to the agents in a minute. Another thing I think I've seen is I think the industry generally has relied on kind of buckets of assumptions as to what is actually causing the risk in the trucks, right? I've heard you say time and time again, yeah, just because they're in California doesn't make them a bad risk, right? <laughs> but seriously, right? Or Florida. Yeah, depending on who you ask, this is what makes a market. So 
bringing it down to the broker level, there's certain syndicates that have no issue with California. There's other syndicates that think that's an area that we want to avoid. Same for something they would class as a new venture if it's under three years in business. We don't want to touch them. They're going to cause loads of losses. Other syndicates are a bit more relaxed or MGAs are a bit more relaxed on that. And then that's our job as a London broker is to find those out of all of those 76 syndicates and all of them right North American transportation. But, you know, there's a good number of syndicates markets that do do that. And it's our job to find the good ones, well, not the good ones, but the ones that have those viewpoints that align with what our cover holder or our wholesaler or the agent is wanting to achieve from London on that, on that standpoint. So, you know, we could go and see Syndicate A or MGAA and they could say, you know what, we don't want to write anything in Florida if it's under two years in business because looking at all the data and the business we've written there over the last five years, that's north of 100% loss ratio. Whereas you could go and see another syndicate and they could say, we've got no issue with Florida. Yeah, we've had losses here, but we're not going to penalize them as much for Florida because we haven't seen those losses. It's about having those dialogues with those markets and then being able to find the right partners for our agents, depending on where they are. If yeah. That sort of answers what you're looking at on that bit. Yeah, it does. It does. And I look at things like if you think about driving records, right? How many programs do you see where pretty much the driver criteria is the same, right? Uh, nothing more than two years of experience, <laughs> yeah. no more than three speeding incidents, no two, no more than two speeding incidents in a crash, all this stuff. And I think some of the stuff we're working on and really analyzing that data, that's what I'm getting back to is the data, right? I think the data is critical because it's going to tell stories that maybe we haven't heard before. We're looking at all this crash stuff. And one of the things that I've got Camille working on is take a look at crash data and take a look at the city in the city and state in which the fleet is established and then cross reference where the crash actually took place. We may find out that um, 60% of the crashes for fleets that are domiciled in Florida actually never have a crash in Florida. They have them in North Carolina. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think the data is critical because it's going to tell us the right story. And I just don't... Yeah, and the thing with that, I sometimes you can throw the baby out of the bathwater and you can penalize some of the good insureds that are in those states that are performing well, where we have seen, let's load the state of Florida by 20%, and they could, they may not be in an urban area, they may be in a rural part of Florida or somewhere else, and they get penalized with some of those insurance companies, that, well, not sorry, trucking companies that have had those adverse losses and then that's where you've got the good guys being thrown in with the bad guys who are running at 110 percent or have caused losses for the market over the last eight to ten years that mean that it's doing that so the insurance premiums are going up for everybody so you know the transparency is key with the data we've got now and that sort of area and then even then you've got the driver criterias and they're different from our side london is a challenge itself because obviously You've got the auto liability stateside and they'll have whatever drive criteria or structure they've got. London, with all the different MGAs and carriers or syndicates, they've got driver criteria. And I do feel sorry for some TPAs we trade with because some of them just tweak them and say, oh, if it's 12 months to 24 months CDL experience and it's a double deductible, others say, oh, well, it has to be 24 months. So different markets. And we do our best from a London, and it's part of our job from a London broking standpoint when we see these markets and who we trade with 
to be able to convey that to our client who will have to convey that to the retailer and the insurer to say, look, this is the difference between this option here and this option here. And if you pick this option, okay, it's got higher deductible. This driver criteria with this option means that if you hire someone that's got 18 months of experience, they're not covered, but they'll have to be specially agreed. Whereas if you went for this option, which is actually a bit higher, but you know, you're covered with a double deductible if they've got 13 months experience because they're doing 12 to 24 months. And it's our job as a London broker to educate our clients on the differences of these. And that's whether it's a Lloyd's quote, whether it's a non-Lloyd's quote. And it's just part of the process of, of what we're able to convey with what we're doing and also trying to find the terms of suit. So now I'm almost wondering if you're more of a storyteller or a matchmaker. You've got to be able to tell the story as it relates to the data, right? And the data tells stories sometimes differently than what people think. You think the London market is ready for big data to help shift some of those kind of what I will call legacy wheels decisions that they make? Very much. The Lloyds Lab is in cohort 10 now. I think they've done a fantastic job with Ed. And then obviously Rosie, who's running the Lloyds Lab now, with the innovation they've brought in, Parcel being an example with all the COVID vaccines and what Parcel's done on that side, Loadshaw, another entity there on the autonomous trucking and that sort of next step. Obviously, you're in the Lloyds Lab with Risky Business, but it's syndicates and the uptake and people trying to push forward from an innovation standpoint is what we need to do as a market anyway. It's down to us as the brokers as well. We can't just rely on the syndicates to be the innovators. If we can find something that benefits the market as a whole, I think it's down to us in London. And although we say London brokers, we all compete against each other, etc. But at the end of the day, we are all London. And we had a meeting yesterday where we discussed wordings. And it was more Christopher and Colin Bird, who I actually first started broking MTC to back seven, eight years ago discussing where the broad form 15 and all the other wordings came from but we are london needs to work together to an extent at some point to to push forward otherwise you can have like an imbalance between people that are pushing forward and then people that are doing it you know more of the traditional way where there's nothing wrong with the traditional way but there'll be a, a sort of leap forward but then they you know depending on how that goes people will follow suit or they'll find another way to to handle the business yeah, I agree with you there. I've seen tremendous, we mentioned the lab, right? That was an amazing experience for us. And Rosie, I'll be doing a podcast with her as well. So that'll be a good one. And even with the style of broking, if you talk about technology and innovation going forward, there's some good outfits out there at the moment in the transportation side. Decker seem to be doing well, KP broking. It's just a style of broking that's happening with Lloyd's with handling that smaller type of business that normally would be a transactional type of business. And when I say transactional, the smaller insureds that are, that are coming across with the that one to 20 unit space and innovating that space from a London broken standpoint, if we're focusing specifically on that, they've done good jobs being able to streamline the whole policy issuance. And when I say that, I'm talking about, I was explaining it this morning to one of the new joiners about, and this, I say it makes me feel old, three years ago, printing off like a whole wad of paper for all these different accounts going into the market. You'd go and see people like James Fleming, Marcus, and the rest of them. And you'd queue up for an hour just to see them to handle these risks. And it would be 
snowing outside, but you've got to walk across. You go and sit there, you queue for an hour or queue for half an hour. You sit down, you do the broking, you come back to the office, you look at the terms, you put them up to the client. But now on the smaller business, there's there seems to be new efficient ways of handling that through online portals. And then obviously the next step is can we can from a broking standpoint, what I'm thinking is can we connect those online portals to the data from our side? So as a London broker, we're being for our markets and syndicates we trade with, so we can be more, you know, enhance our broking offering to the London market to help our underwriters, but then also do a better job for the insureds and our clients. Yeah, and you hit on something. My numbers on these statistics are going to be a little bit off, but not much. The statistics on the trucking industry here in the States is something like 98% of the motor carriers, interstate motor carriers here in the United States are one to five units. And it's some, it's something ridiculous, like 99.8% of the fleets here in the United States are less than 20 units. Yeah, 80%, I think it is under one to 20 units. And that's a big old chunk of business. I know Progressive writes a ton of it, but our job from an efficiency standpoint, and we haven't been the best of it in Lloyd's. I think COVID, as bad as obviously COVID was, but from a technology standpoint, from Lloyd's of London, it has brought us forward in terms of streamlining and making us more efficient to handle that business. Yeah. Not when we're going to drop down a level in the insurance supply chain. Yeah. Let's talk about the agent. Okay. What? So as it relates to risk and the trucking companies and how they perform, now obviously it's on the trucking company to perform well, but what role do you think the agent does play currently, has played historically, and should play going forward as it relates to how does this all get to the field? <laughs> you don't have to. You can plead the fifth if you want. <laughs> yeah, that's a hospital pass in regular terms there, Scott. It's, it just depends on the agency. Predominantly, Lloyd's brokers trade with wholesalers. The wholesalers cover holders, and that, that's who we trade with. And they, they do a fantastic job with streamlining the business coming in from the retailers and knowing what London wants, and whether it's a fit for London or whether it can be placed domestically. But I assume you're talking about the retail side. Well, are you talking about the wholesale side? No, I'm talking about the retail side. I'm yeah. talking about down the one that's actually talking to the fleet. Yeah. So as I'll use a company like TIA, for an example, who were Coburn and then they were part of Harbour, the TIA. Uh, they've done a fantastic job and they've been around for 30 years. They're one of my colleagues, Christopher's longest clients. They do a fantastic job in terms of educating the insureds and finding them the best products. We've worked alongside them to provide those that offering from London. It's founded by three brothers. They're a great example of a great retail agency that's done a, a, an amazing job. And I've picked someone outside the actual group, so I'm not, not being biased on that side. But <laughs> I think, like with any company, you get different levels of skill sets or where their focus is. But predominantly, I've, the retailers we've traded with, they've done a very good job in terms of understanding the product, educating the insured. And even then, that's there's so many different levels to it. And if I talk about it now and I talk about it in five years' time, my answer is probably very different. But some retailers specialise in the captive space, other ones specialise in non-fleet, otherwise other ones specialise in sort of the mid to large fleet. And they all have their niches or niches depending on the way the operation of the retail agency has been run. Risk and de-risking seems to be a good topic at the moment in terms of how they can help the insureds run better. Obviously, no one wants to buy insurance we do it because we have to, even down to our own home and car insurance, it's there. So I think it's our job or their job to educate the insurers on what they're buying. 
and you're obviously going to get varying degrees of depending on what retail agency is. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. You know what? I don't think you're a matchmaker or a storyteller. I think you're a ballerina. You dance very well. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, listen, I think it's, we deal with a lot of retail insurance agents. We deal with the program managers and the cover holders, right? And, And then we deal with the folks in London as well. So we have a kind of a really unique view of what happens all the way through that insurance supply chain. And I think it's a little bit of, I think the responsibility to educate that fleet actually is bigger than just the retail agent, right? I think that the right story, and I don't mean story like it's fake, right? The right story of what's happening needs to be told all the way down. I can remember back when I first started to establish my own credit, right? I had no idea what I needed to do to make sure that my my credit was good, right? I had no idea. I just thought, okay, I'm just going to pay my bills on time. No, that's just one little piece of it, right? And yeah. so these fleets may think, and even the agents may think, because they're not being properly educated, no, wait a minute, we have to look at all these little bits and pieces to make sure that everything aligns properly. I think that story and the transparency is critical, right? I think for the London market to be able to see what's actually happening on the ground based on what they've signed on for is critical. I think it's critical for the program managers and the cover holders to explain to the agents what are the particular pieces that are being looked at when it comes to the risk for that program. And then I think it's up to the agent as well to then take that knowledge and pass it on to the fleet and then the fleet to pass it on to the driver. And I think that transparency is critical because there's think about it. It's not just one thing. It's not just speeding. It's not just accidents. It's not just violations and inspections. It's everything. Right. And I think that story needs to be told all the way through that. Yeah. And I like the way the insurance is evolving. I know they talk about the sharing economy space, but there are elements of it coming into the transportation space. And I like the idea that instead of just buying an insurance policy that's there to help you if you have a motor truck cargo loss or a physical damage loss, but I like the idea that there are elements to it that can save you fuel and you've got the data there now to help you with fuel cards or if you're, if you're harsh speeding and half harsh braking you know it's going to wear out your tires and this can save you fuel this can save you x amount of money here and if you don't brake as much it saves you this much amount of fuel in the long run it's quite interesting now the data from the telematics that's there that could actually help an insurance and transportation company as a business rather than just say oh no you've had a loss here we can help you out with this loss you've got the technology there now with the expertise in the industry where they can help insured to go from one unit as an owner operator or up to a 200 unit operation with that structure there that, that will help them run as a strong and viable business in america and they did a great job over covid in terms of transporting all the goods around the country i think it's 76 percent of the goods in america are transported by truck that's a massive amount so yeah obviously if they've got the structures in place and the technologies there and you've got the retail agency educating them on de-risking there's a lot more to it than that outside of our area of expertise as a London broker but it's certainly good for the industry and you know it, it, it feeds all the way back up to the chain from the insurance side yeah totally agree all right so I'm going to ask you one more question this is a good one and I tell people this all again that none yeah. of this is rehearsed yeah I refuse I refuse to rehearse yeah uh, we just go where we go where the wind takes us right yeah okay so what is well look, before I ask you the question I got to paint the picture of what it really means to be James Wells. 
You get up very early in the morning yep. every single day. You get into London. You run around all day yep. ma- making matches, doing your dance, right? And then you have to go and you have to have pints. And then you have to go and you have to have dinner. And you get home really late at night every single day. It is. I did it when I was there for the lab. It is exhausting. It is work your ass off. So with that being said, what is your favorite part of what you do? It's the people, the people in the industry, they really make it. It's people talk about the Sunday blues. Fortunately enough, I've never had them. Even when I first came into insurance and I had interviews to come into it, it was the people that I thought, actually, you know what, this is the place I want to be. You hear about people clock watching and everything else. I don't think I've ever checked the time in terms of thinking, oh my God, it's like six o'clock and I'm still in the office. But whoever we trade with on a daily basis, uh, the A side, syndicate side, client side, I'd say we're pretty fortunate that we trade with like-minded people that, that are very intelligent, they're, they know what they're doing, and it's a very nice industry to work in. We're very privileged to, to do what I do, same for the people we work with. Yeah, so that's a, the sort of driving force, and it's the days fly by, basically. It's <laughs> But there's just so much going on, there's so much to learn. I'll say Christopher, he's going to be 70 this year. We're both... Christopher's still learning. I'm still learning. I don't think at any point you look at it and think, oh, I'm done. I've completed it. There's always something new. There's always something changing. We talk about new things coming into the market. We talk about innovation, like you said. Even three years ago, I would have said, this is the perfect way to do our business. We're going into the market. We're going to get quotes. We're going to do this way. And we're going to send out quotes to the clients. And it's perfect. It's like Nirvana. And then you come forward post-pandemic and the market's completely changed. And I would say this as well is we've got someone new that we've just, week two, speaking to the markets we trade with, they're saying no one's coming up to see us from a London broking standpoint. And as soon as she's ready, it's going to be, let's go and see these markets. Let's go and meet the underwriters. Because from a knowledge standpoint and from a learning standpoint, uh, one of the benefits of Lloyd's and what it's done for 335 years is have all this knowledge in one space, in one room. And even the building itself, from where it is 1978 to being where it is now, you've got the toilets, you've got the escalators, or the escalators in the middle, but the elevators on the outside. There's so much space in the middle for going broking and obviously for seeing those underwriters with that specialist expertise. I don't want to fall into that trap now, post-pandemic, of where we, or even during the pandemic, of emailing quotes out and thinking, you know what, it's so efficient. But there's so much knowledge to be had within the markets we trade with seeing the underwriters we do on a daily basis, that it's important for younger brokers, and I technically am still, I'd like to consider myself as young, but for us to still be in the market and going to see people rather than just emailing underwriters from our desk and thinking, oh, we're doing, we're broking, because I don't see that really as broking because someone can sit on the other side of that email and just say, this is the price we're at. I've read your email. That's not going and negotiating a deal for our client. So... Yeah, I'm looking forward to the market returning to a bit more of that on the transportation side. It doesn't sound like much of it has happened, but it's something that we're going to try and find a balance for from from what we're trying to do actual London wholesale between maintaining a day-to-day, face-to-face relationship with our markets, but then also having the efficiency of technology. And that is a that's probably a balance within itself. So, but yeah, to answer your question in short, it's the people and. If you're, if you're staying in the office the whole time, you don't get to see the people. It's great to be in Lloyd's. It's great to trade with who we trade with. You make some good lifelong friends. 
and you do a bit of insurance in the meantime. Yeah, no, that's what keeps me motivated anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. The London market's pretty cool. Meeting people face to face. You can see it right away when you talk to folks at the syndicates and the MGAs and all that. Like it makes a difference, right? It makes a difference when they can look you in the eye and you can look them in the eye and there's a mutual respect and a mutual understanding. It's a huge deal. I love going out there. Yeah, and, it, and I'd say even as well from three years ago, uh, a lot of the calls we'd have would just be over conference calls, you know, for you know triangle phone in the middle of the room to now thinking that we've taken a step forward with the video technology like we're doing here now, which is great, but you can't beat a face-to-face meeting. Being in the room, being in London, being stateside is pretty crucial for what we do, and it really gives you a good insight in terms of what people are thinking and how they're acting. And that, again, goes down to what we're doing on a daily day, daily broking side as well. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, listen, it's been fun as always. Yeah, it has been fun. I'm sorry for standing you up on Valentine's Day. I'll make it up to you, Scott. You know what? I cry- I only <laughs> cried for three hours. <laughs> that before or after the notebook, so. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I, 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 I will confess, I had to watch a sappy movie on on Valentine's Day, but it actually was a good one, so it was all good. It's all good. All right, well, listen, my friend, I will see you in a few weeks. We'll be out there. We got some dinner scheduled. We'll have some drinks. We'll shake some hands, kiss some babies, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for being on, James. Thanks for everything. You're amazing. Cheers. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our show today. Remember, when it comes to creativity and innovation, I always like to quote one of my favorite lines out of the movie Tommy Boy. If you ain't growing, you're dying. There ain't no third direction. My name's Scott Grandis. I'll see you on the next show. Peace.